Inspired by the power of botanicals and rooted in the alchemy of science, Grown Alchemist is the ultimate in clean beauty. Today, I'm sitting down with the co-founder, Jeremy Mose, to discuss his journey in creating Grown Alchemist, what continues to inspire him, and what he envisions for the future. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Founded Beauty, a podcast dedicated to beauty entrepreneurs built some of the biggest brands today and where we learn exactly how they did it. We'll cover some of the most intimate stories, their path to success, and how they overcame the obstacles along the way. I'm Akash Mehta, CEO and co-founder of Fable and Main, a modern hair wellness brand inspired by ancient Indian beauty secrets. Building Fable and Main has been an incredible journey so far, and I've decided to launch this podcast as a founder keen to learn and connect with fellow beauty brand founders around the world. I believe in collaboration over competition, and so I'm using this platform as a way to hopefully help and inspire each other in what can be quite a tough and lonely journey. So if you are an entrepreneur or simply just curious how to build a brand, this podcast is perfect for you. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest for today, Jeremy Mose. He's co-founded Grown Alchemist with his brother, Keston, after years of product and brand development consultants before noticing an opportunity. Their groundbreaking clinical research proved that consistent use of natural ingredients provided huge improvements in skin health, sparking the idea for their own brand. A botanical beauty brand harnessing the most potent natural extracts, Grown Alchemist has been spearheading the way for cosmetic chemistry since its launch in 2004 and remains globally recognized as a leader in the growing intersection of wellness and beauty. The real beauty of the brand, however, is Jeremy's resolve to see the brand through a time when clean or natural beauty wasn't considered seriously. It's because of brands like Grown Alchemist that we have seen such a shift in the industry. And so I couldn't be more honored to have Jeremy with us today. So Jeremy, thank you for being here. It's my pleasure, Akesh. Thank you very much for having me. So I asked all my guests the same question. I'm going to ask you, who in a nutshell is Jeremy? Gosh, um, I am probably, um, who am I? I, I think I'm... Um, a fortunate uh, individual who um, who probably only has one skill, which is uh, just perseverance. <laughs> I think that's probably <laughs> about the deal. <laughs> I love that. That's the best skill to have. So that's one I think anyone would want. And it has so many sub skills in there anyway. So that's a great answer. Um, so I kind of want to go back to the, to the beginning, I guess. Uh, baby Jeremy, am I right in saying you were born and raised in Australia? Born in New Zealand. New Zealand. Uh, which okay. is like uh, to, to a New Zealander, it's very much a different country thing to Australia. It's a different it is completely. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> I'm one of those. I'm not, I'm not putting them two in the same bucket. Like I'm like, I know they're very different. They're also very, very far. So, so <laughs> from each other. And, uh, and so I grew up, uh, did uh, a lot of my university in New Zealand and then um, left New Zealand when I was in my mid-20s. Amazing. So after then, did you go to US or whereabouts? Popped into Australia for a little bit. Um, and did some work in Australia, uh, and then actually lived in London after that. Uh, and so became a little bit of a, a nomad working for different companies all over the place. Um, and then after working in London, my brother who, who had a small product development company, he stayed in New Zealand the whole time. And I went back, I used him on a couple of projects out of London and I went yep. back to, um, New Zealand to go skiing and, Something happened on that ski trip that we uh, ended up creating a company, a product development company together, uh, and uh, and that kind of formed the beginning of our partnership in a working sense. 
That's so, well, also kudos to the fact that like, so I work with my sibling and I know what it's like to create a business with one, but at the same time, I sometimes I'm like, okay, after this, I'm done. Like I, I'm, I love you, Nikki, my sister, but I'm not doing another one. But the fact that you've gone to do multiple, another one, it's like, that means something is going right. So hey, maybe I'll change my mind. Um, so, so tell me about, so, cause I read about uh, Hatch Australia. That's where my brain went to Australia. Yep. But so, what is Hatch Australia, and then what's Group Fourteen Operations? Sure, you have two companies that you co-founded. Yeah, so Hatch Australia, um, or Hatch used to be Hatch New Zealand, so and then became Hatch Australia. Hatch, um, Hatch is a company that this whole thing was um, positioning statement, if you want to call it that, was um, about conceiving the compelling. So it was the idea that mm. that uh, you hatch great ideas, you hatch great brands. And great yep. products. So we created that company because um, we found that it was really at the beginning of larger companies realizing they needed some kind of grassroots innovation in some of their business, some of their business channels, and also um, some products that weren't working weren't best to be reinvented creatively by a corporate. The line they were drawing at the time, or starting to draw was that they're incredibly good at globalization, incredibly good at um, the infrastructure around um, implementing a brand, had great relationships with retailers, uh, established sort of support relationships in terms of staff and sales teams and all those things. Yep. But when it came to the creative nucleus of the brand which or, or a product, the outcomes were quite, um, I kind of call it stifled by, by a middle management approach, right? Yeah, 100%, yeah. You, you sort of get this moment where, you create something when you're in a corporate, and I worked for a corporate for a short period of time and wasn't terribly good at it, but um, you, you, you're in a corporate, you've, you've got to be very conscious that whatever you put forward is not too controversial because if it's too controversial, it's seen as a bit of a, a weird thing and it puts yeah. your neck on the line and it can be quite risky. And then when it gets up to the next level, generally there's a, there's a, there's a bank, like maybe 12 or whatever, general managers who then review the next yeah. phase, right? And so then at that point, you get watered down again as a concept. Uh, and then when it gets to the sort of senior team as a, as a like before it goes to launch, probably even, you know, CEO, the, the, the C team, there's another level of risk aversion there. And there's all these regulatory people and all of these, you know, a whole bunch of individuals that essentially have quite often, and certainly in those days, take away the edge the, the the kind of raw um, substance of what you're trying to do and water it down and homogenize it somewhat. And it's really difficult for that process to not happen when you're a corporate person and you're in a corporate environment who rewards sort of the steadfast, safe approach, right? Yeah. They would bring us in almost as a disruptor to say, hey, we've got a problem. Yep. We need it fixed. This product's not working. This brand's not working. Um, or we need something new. Um, and and I think this was our appeal to companies like Shiseido, right? Which always struggled with innovation when it came not not to the not to the product part. Very good at the product part, but when it came came to the creative part. Um, and so that that would be a moment where they bring us in and go, okay, here is a project. It's got a start and an end. Uh, we would never really get involved in distribution. It was always about one of three things, the brand, um, the actual formulation of a product, or the strategic rationale behind 
why the product should be launched and, and kind of the market positioning of the product. And then once we'd kind of what we'd call hatched uh, something, then we would pass it on to the company. That's so smart. I love it. So is it still it, it closed or is it still operating today? Or Yeah, so Hatch ended up, um, the way Hatch sort of became originally just Grown Alchemist um, was we were on a project with a client out of New York and we'd shifted to Miami to live because most of our work was in North America. And, yeah. uh, and we were on a project with a client who wanted us to create, they were, we were doing this sleep cream and serum and sort of range of sleep-related products uh, with them. And they were a large company that dealt in this space and they had a lot of, lot of momentum in this space. And they asked us, they were very interested in a thing called wellness, right? Mm. Which was, a, I think, as a, uh, a concept just emerging, very, very new. And so they said to us, look, we don't quite understand wellness. This was now probably late 90s. And we don't quite understand it. It's brand new. Uh, we have heard that it's going to be the next big thing. There was a book that had come out called Wellness, the Next Trillion Dollar Industry, which was by a futurist. And, uh, and everybody was like, trillion dollar industry, that's incredible. That's bigger than computers. How do we you know, get our head around that? And so this whole corp, very, very early adopter corporate, this word started to take hold. No one really understood what it meant. We were kind of push, pushed, in, pushed in a meeting, pushed into a sort of a, a, a project that we, they were, we were asked to do something to kind of present back to them what wellness meant, basically, and what it meant particularly for the beauty industry. And as an important client, we said, look, we'll take that on. So we, um, we actually started a project which was supposed to be quite a short little stint. You know, we thought maybe a few weeks. Ended up taking us about six months to really get our head around it. And then another six months and sort of playing with it and getting some product that we could present that fitted this category. So it was about 12 months worth of work. We came back to the client and we were touching base with them around this whole project. We got really excited. We met with all sorts of people like um, um, people that specialized in nutrition for beauty, right? Well, not, not really for beauty, but nutrition that they believed affected beauty. So there was no sort of um, strong functional medicine at that point. It was very, very kind of street and a little bit, to be honest. Granola, picky, yeah. Right, yeah, it was yeah. granola. We, we, we actually termed it um, mung beans and sandals, socks and sandals and mung beans, <laughs> what we called it. Right? Literally. It was it like you that, met yeah. these people and they were really well-meaning, big yeah. hearts. But, oh, yeah. my gosh, they had all these weird theories, right? And um, yeah. And we met one guy who said, um, you were talking to him about, he was dealing with people who had primarily cancers and different diseases, um, but mm -hmm. primarily cancer. And, um, and he said, he made this comment. We said, so what is your process that you take someone through? You, he had a decent kind of rate of at least remission. And he wasn't a doctor. Although he had some, he had, doc, he had medical personnel in his team. He wasn't a doctor. He um, wasn't a physician. Um, and he said, the first thing I do is I take my potential clients through a process of forgiveness. Mm. And we were like, what's this got to do with healing, right? Like, or, or anything. Yeah. 
that you're doing to... And he said, well, here's the principle, and it's been proven time after time. He said, the most powerful healing mechanisms that you can create is... Sorry, that you can you can access are the ones that you create. Okay. And we were sitting there, and I, I mean, oh, this guy, he was dressed in this linen, and I was like, he's some sort of cult leader. I was very skeptical, and uh, yeah. and I said, I said, can you unpack that? That sounds totally weird, right? And he said, well, look, yeah, um, every thought, every process, every uh, whether it's a physical process like digestion, or whether it's a mental process like stress, every single process that you do in or on or uh, around your body creates a reaction in the body and it's a chemical reaction. So if I create, a, if someone walks in here right now with a semi-automatic weapon and starts waving it around, you will immediately go into a stress flight or fight moment. And that releases a whole bunch of chemicals in the body that we commonly talk, call adrenaline and a whole bunch of other ke- chemicals, right? Yeah. Those chemicals create an immediate effect and, and reaction in the body that gives you sometimes resources that you never had. Well, the same is true with stress, but in a negative sense. So a little bit of flight or fight is great. When it's prolonged, it becomes very damaging to the body and actually creates a lot of toxicity in the body. That toxicity then steals essentially health and function from the body. So he said, when you have unforgiveness, the bitterness actually can be seen as a chemical reaction. That, that resentment can be seen as a chemical reaction in the body. And it's really, really hard to give you enough positive responses, ingredients, nutrients, chemicals into the body to, to actually fight that resentment. He said, you'll be surprised how many people in a cancer process have been misdiagnosed where they had said they've got pains, aches, issues, concerns, years before they actually get diagnosed with cancer and they get almost in those days it was very much about they were sort of almost told that they had psychosomatic issues right Mm. it wasn't like it wasn't very easily so so he started taking us through this journey and we saw it in other spaces too but this was the most profound because it was so far away from our beauty space yeah and then he started talking about meditation and how an hour's worth of meditations worth about three hours of sleep when it comes to renewal and we sort of hadn't completely connected the dots, but it really sparked our interest because it start, he, he talked about a thing called toxicity. And we knew that toxicity in the body was really, really a strong connector uh, to inflammation and inflammation and oxidization were very connected and they, uh, they are one of the key ages of the skin, aging mechanisms of the skin. And if you can decrease that, you can obviously improve um, the longevity of your skin or the the... the, the what we'd call the biological age of your skin versus the chronological age. So we were very, this was a very interesting kind of thought process that when you're myopic, which is what we were, which is very focused on creams, right? (laughs) Potions and lotions is what we called it. Exactly. I like that, potions and lotions. We were very focused on that space. And, and about creating the next amazing ingredient or employing the next miracle moment, right? And trying to get something that really just delivered. You don't think about necessarily the outcome. You think a lot about um, your product. Yeah. And this forced us 
well, sort of opened our view, widened Eyes, our views, views yeah. Mm. To say, well, wait a minute, there's a whole new world out there that is not about lotion and potion, but has a significant effect on how you age and how your body performs and the health and function of your body. So, mm. and and then we had this moment, oh gosh, about probably about four years later. So we'd done a whole lot of formulation. We presented back to this client about this incredible opportunity. They looked at us and said, quite honestly, this is not my corporate, this is not a corporate play. Okay. In fact, it's probably the last thing that from a corporate <laughs> perspective we want to get involved in. It's expensive. How do you monetize it? I don't even think people are ready for it. And, and, and you know, and they don't, they don't know it, right? That's the main thing with corporate is they like to do what they know and do more of it. And this is something maybe a bit out there. For them. I, I think that you hit on it. Like that it's a foreign idea to them. And, and then it's also something you, you, it's not a very comfortable place. No. Because like a lot of these corporates are, are very, very, very clever at launching and beauty and launching products they know the system. They feel very comfortable with the system. As soon as you start talking about something that's not a product, it's like, well, why are we interested in that? How can we materialize that and get an ROI, right? That's not going to, you know. So um, so we were sort of naively thought, oh, it's information. It's information. They just don't understand it completely yet. So we went back into the mix and said, let's just produce more product, show them how it's going to work, get sort of more clarity around the whole thing. We came back and said, here is, you know, we just want to present sort of our, our new findings and our sort of refined view. They then just said, guys, we're, we're not interested. And so we had all of this sort of what I would call knowledge and, and awakening for us. It was a real awakening. Um, and we changed our diets. We changed all sorts of things. We looked at it from nutrition, from gut health, from topical, from environment, from emotional um, a whole bunch of different ways to explore what is essentially beauty, how do you create it, but it was all rooted in one simple principle is that your beauty journey comes from a thing called function in the body and function is driven by health. So if you don't get that right, the next space is not whatever you put in, in on, on your skin, in or on your yep. skin, isn't going to create the optimal outcome for you. So, and then we had this moment where we sat in front of this um, physician who was now, this is a few years on and functional medicine had started to kind of birth. Right. And this person yeah. was a GP, but they also were really interested in food as medicine and how to create healing in another way in the body, right? Not just through mm-hmm. pharmaceuticals. So they made a comment. We were talking to them about this health function equation. And they made a comment. They said, look, if you broke your arm and you came to me, could I heal it? Could I fix it? Could I get you back on track? And I said, of course you can. You can fix it. You're a, you're a, a doctor. You know about those things. Uh, and they said, well, the funny thing is I don't fix anything in the body. All I do is look to create the right environment for your body to heal. And that changed. That was kind of like the connection back to this crazy guy right? A few years yep. previous who, who really kind of woke us up, but it, it kind of gave us the science based version, which was really this is that it's really seriously hard to stop the healing processes of the body. 
You can impair them, but you can't actually stop them. You have to do a lot to stop them. But what would it look like if you resourced them and created an environment where the body was absolutely optimized for healing and renewal? And so when you go to sleep at night and the body automatically triggers this renewal process and does a lot of healing while you sleep and renewal, you've actually optimized the body to do that. And what would that look like when it pertained specifically to the skin? So that was the journey, really. And so that's what kind of started us into the space of, well, how do we pull on all these levers to create this moment which, which was rooted in health, Yep. And rooted in to create function. And then, and then how do we activate that function topically, internally, to really yep. deliver um, skin that, that is future-proof as much as you possibly can be future-proof? And, uh, and our journey began, and, um, and we couldn't sell it to anyone. So we decided at one, some point, uh, about 2002, we decided, look, we've invested enough it's really hard to go back to traditional processes mm-hmm. when you have kind of been awakened to a new look, a new way of seeing something. And yeah. everything else felt a little bit hollow and a bit like uh, it wasn't authentic yeah. anymore, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's interesting how your perception changes when you learn or you open your, and you look yeah. at something in a slightly different way. It's so true. So that's, so that's 2002. So then does that mean then you were, I guess, together if the, if the client and people didn't want it, you, you guys decided we'll do it. We'll, we'll, we'll create the brand. Is that, is that the process there? It was in 2000. So in 2002, we made a conscious decision to say, right, we're going to launch our own products or brand yep. products. And so we, so we took some of the cosmetic chemistry that we'd already created and started yep. pushing that into uh, a, product, a formal product development process for, us, for ourselves first time. And it took us till 2008 to actually launch, including the production time. So it took us about five years to get there and about a year in production uh, and getting everything from packaging. And to be honest, it was a completely new space for us because we'd only ever been involved at the front end, right? The, the, the yeah. formation. We'd never been involved in the in the actual take to market moment of actually dealing with a buyer and dealing with a marketing a, and a distribution that. channel and yeah. a marketing team and a sales team and a, yeah. all of that. Stuff. Oh, but that's incredible. So I was like, I was a student there, just listening. You know, I was I, I was the worst podcasters. I was just like listening to your voice this last twenty minutes. I was like, this I'm learning so much. So that was amazing. Thanks for sharing the the, the background behind the why of growing alchemist. I think it's so important. And, and this is why I also have this space, right? It's, uh, I'll, I'll say it now, I say openly, growing alchemist is one of my favorite brands. It's in my shower. I, I, I got introduced to it via my local Equinox. And, um, I mean the, the chamomile bergamot rose body cleanser and it's amazing, but uh, now I'm even more in love with it because I've, <laughs> I've heard the story of the why. Whys are so important, um, even more than the action. It's, I think it's important to see the, 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 the true, authentic, um, the, the reason for it. So 2008, you were saying, so tell us a bit about, I mean, some of the highlights in the journey in creating it. And, um, but before we actually get to that, that you can tell me in a second, but I do want to ask two primary questions. My first is, um, what is the inspiration behind the name Growing Alchemist? Um, well, it, 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 
came from this idea. So we first had these crazy names and, and we were all about kind of the cleverness of the product, right? Mm. And, and it, it's because we were based in a sort of a traditional science, you know, cosmetic chemistry mindset. And it felt wrong. We, we, we sat around, I remember sitting around and we, I said, look, um, and I was with my brother and we we're just throwing stuff back and forth and he's very creative um, chap. And, and I said to him, you know, I almost feel like we're doing nature a disservice because all the hard work's mm. actually, if you look at it, all the hard work's actually been done by nature. And all we're doing, because if you want to create this health moment, which delivers this function moment, you actually have to use ingredients that don't add toxicity. And primarily, not, in com- not completely, but primarily they tend to be natural ingredients, right? Or na- very close to nature. Um, in other words, derived from a, directly from a plant, extracted, or, or very close to that moment. So I, I sort of said, I feel like all the hard work's been done by nature and we're sort of claiming the credit for it. In some ways, um, we we have this sort of responsibility to unveil, right? Mm-hmm. Which is not, it's a moment of um, of respecting the power of nature but being very delicate with it. And so I said, well, actually our products in some ways are not manufactured, they're grown. And, and then we had this sort of robust conversation about, yeah, but you, you can grow anything, you can grow you know, you can grow cereal, right? Um, <laughs> um, and you wouldn't put it on your skin. And I said, I agree. So there's a degree of, you've got to have a, an understanding around science and, 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 and the ability to actually create a moment beyond that hmm. um, where cosmetic chemistry plays a really important role. So that's when we described that process almost like alchemy where you take something sort of beautiful and yeah. rare and you put it together and somehow it becomes more than the sum of the parts, right? Yeah. And and we and again it was this, on our journey, um, this this chap, I met this guy, he's a crazy guy. He actually was involved in creating the compact disc, believe it or not, for a company called Hughes wow. Engineering. Uh, anyway, so he was talking to me about matter and he said all things in matter live in a thing called relationship, right? We do so do all, all particles. And, in fact, if you look at a desk or a piece of wood, it's a collection of par- particles that have decided to link together. It's, it's the relationship between those molecules that actually create the solid structure. Same, same with all things, right? And so yeah. he was very sort of super, super crazy. So I understood about 20% of what it, no, probably 5% of what he was saying. And, and he made this comment. He said, you know, even when you formulate, every ingredient has a relationship with another ingredient and that relationship can be positive, it's very, really neutral, or it can be negative. Mm. So when you combine those ingredients as a cosmetic chemist, you're looking for powerful relationship where two of those molecules together do more than the separate, the sum of their parts. And that was, to me, what sparked this idea of alchemy, right, this combination of things. So that's where the name came from, Crown Alchemist. It was, it's, it's nature, but it's this crazy science that we, we try 
we, we try and really drive and perfect. I love that. I mean, what a beautiful name, but, um, and, and it's great at that time as well, where things like trademark now today, oh my God, it's so hard to create a name that you like without having things like social media handle or trademark. I mean, I mean, yeah. it's still a problem for everyone as we grow. I mean, there's always new things to think about new territories to get, get trademarks in and stuff, but what a beautiful name that I think is, um, yeah. It's a one to cherish for sure. Um, my next question, before I want to talk about some of the highlights in the journey, is what was your first product and like why that product that you launched first? It was a day cream. The first product was a day cream, still exists today. Mm. Um, yeah. I think creams for us at that point, creams were always the first product you create. They the, tend to be the most difficult product to create. Yeah. Um, and... It was true at the time, although washes became quite tricky afterwards. Mm. But at the time, um, creams were, they, they stay on your skin. They don't wash off. They've got to be extremely healthy. The space that we were going, we, they needed to be in an extremely healthy, healthy combination of, of preservatives and efficacy. Um, and so it, it, for us, it was the kind of, we perfect the cream, everything else will follow. And in those days, you know, we were pioneer, pioneering nat- natural preservative systems because you couldn't just go to a mm. sort of a supplier and say, give me your preservative system. They didn't exist. They existed, but in, no. in artificial form. So, um, so cream was the first. Um, later on, washes actually became quite tricky because um, – as we were going through the product development process, we started to realize even in what they termed healthy preservative systems for washes, there was stuff that you didn't want in your product. So yeah. that set a whole new set of challenges because then you've got washes sitting in environments like showers that are high in bacteria yeah. um, and, uh, and you have to figure out interesting ways to, to, to get around that um, in a healthy way. So then after these first launches... I would love to know, like now you've got an incredible array of products, but what were some of the highlights in building Green Alchemist to today? Um, uh, I know that it's hard to, I mean, you can have multiple podcast episodes to synthesize that, but if you had to pick out a few of them, we'd love to know on that journey, what's some of your most memorable highlights? I think, I think, um, I think our journey can be characterized by a couple of chaps not knowing anything that we need to know, stumbling through and just somehow kind of landing on our feet and some of our mistakes became some of our opportunities to actually win. Right. Um, this is, mm. I, I've, I've said it before, uh, and, but this is a fabulous movie, um, that I, I always love to watch called out of Africa. And, um, mm. there's a scene in it where, um, a couple of people are talking and one of them says, you know, I, I, I now know why, God made the world round. It's so we can't see too far ahead. And I love that idea that... I love that. Sometimes when you don't know what you don't know, it, it gives you the actual energy and the hope to just keep going. And I think if we saw all of the journey, I'm not sure how many of us would actually begin the journey, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> um, I know that... Uh, you know, you, yep. you get, you, you, for us, the journey was, is characterized by all sorts of mistakes, all sorts of challenges that we never knew, but we got, at some point we got past the point of no return. 
and then you have to go forward. You cannot go back. There's no, there's no way back. Yeah. Um, the way back is way, way worse, right, than the way forward. Yeah. Um, and or at least you think it is. And it's way less, you know, sometimes um, just putting, focusing only on your next step. And I remember um, is, is the most powerful thing you can do, right? Um, you know, in business, we're all planners. We all have these sort of Excel spreadsheets that go out three years and these cash flows and these yeah. whatevers, right? Um, and I think sometimes the most profound thing you can do when the day gets hard and there will be days where you just go, I'm over this, this is crazy. I said to my brother, I'm so glad we don't have a trust fund, otherwise I would have given up on this a long time ago. <laughs> um, you know, but when those days get hard, all you, have to, all you can do, and I think the most powerful thing you can do is focus on, right, what is the very next thing I'm going to do? That's all I need to know. Yep. And, um, yep. and it gives you the power to be in that moment, right? And I, and I think there is a power that comes from being, you, you've got a plan. You've got to do all the things you've got to do. But there comes a power yep. from just saying, I'm in this moment. And everything else yep. is actually secondary to this moment. And Rhett, when you think about it, that's all we've got, right? Um, I, I was watching this crazy TikTok the other day of this, he was almost like a old school salesman, right? Um, mm. Where he's giving out advice and he's dressed in this kind of old school suit and it looks like 19 sort of 70s office. <laughs> very, very cool looking guy, but from another world, right? Old chap talking about his lovely wife and his fantastic marriage and, and life, but from a business perspective. And he brings in this hourglass. He sits it on the table and he yeah. says, everything below the little tiny gap where the, the sand passes through is gone. It's mm -hmm. over. It's, it's not really relevant anymore and not a lot of point of focusing on it. <clears throat> and he said, and everything above that little point, well, that's kind of yet to come and there's not much you can do to focus in on that. But so all you really, really have is the fraction of a moment that where the sand goes through that little gap. And that's the only thing that you can impact uh, to any level. And, it, and it's kind of how we accidentally did it. Um, we, when we launched, we sent our product out to all of the, we didn't have, you know, it wasn't an online platform or anything like that. So you didn't have any of that sort of stuff. Didn't have e-com. Um, didn't have social media. So we sent our product out to a whole bunch of beauty buyers, but there were two in Australia that were most important, our two department stores. And about a month went by and we were like, actually, we haven't heard anything from these guys. I wonder if our product arrived. So we called up and said, hey, we sent some product. We haven't heard anything. What's up? They said, yeah, yeah, we received your product. We're currently looking at it. Okay, well, we'll call back in a, in a week or so. Right, person was very polite. Said, "Sure, fine, yep. if you want to." So we call back in a couple of weeks. Still didn't hear anything, and it was like, "This is crazy." And she says, "Yeah, we're looking at your product. We'll continue to review your product." Um, and then, right at that time, a friend of ours who was selling leather goods into the department store came for lunch, and they said, oh, "We're just catching up and seeing how you're doing." And so we sat down and we said, "Look, it's really weird. We haven't heard back from the buyer, and it's nearly been two months." And she said, two months, it takes two years. Like 
what happens is they get about 200 to 400 new brands every single year and they take somewhere between one and five. So if this is your strategy for success, you are going to be sorely disappointed. You need to prepare that you will never, ever get a department store. They may never take you, right? Well, I mean, the cold sweat came over us like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to make money? We need a department store to make money. We we can't sell without it. And we're not, and the chances are incredibly slim. We had no idea it was like that. All the brands we'd worked for had great relationships with buyers, would walk in with a new product, present it. In six months, it was on shelf, right? That's kind of how it worked. For Mm -hmm. us, we had no relationship, no clout, no leverage. So it was kind of our naivety to even think that was a strategy. Then what happened, we got a call. And they, a call from a retailer called Maya, which is a big department store, they invited us in and said, and, and said, well, we, you know, we come in for a meeting. We walk in, on the boardroom table are our products lined up. We had 15 products. The buyer sat down and said, look, I've got literally less than half an hour. I can give you about 15 minutes. And we were right, okay. She said, look, we are going to take your brand. We're, ha- we're happy to take it. Um, we need to work out how you're going to distribute. You need an EDI system. You need a whole thing. At this point, we're on Excel. You know, you could walk me through your your global, you know, your sorry, your national distribution um, partner, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and how you're actually going to support it in store with BAs and staff and merchandising. And you know, I mean, we had product. That's all we had. And and um, and so, and I sort of looked at her, and I noticed that was only one product on the table that had been open. And I said to her, she was very gracious, but I said to her, her name was Marissa, I said, Marissa, how do you know that you want us? I was kind of a bit miffed, to be honest. I was like, look, we'd poured so many years into this. She's tried a hand cream and she's sort of like now deciding to take us, right? I said, how do you know that you want us if you've only tried a hand cream? She said to me, oh, you guys don't get it. Uh, I Let me help you understand. I buy and sell boxes. You sell product. And, if a cust- and I know mm-hmm. when something by its shelf appeal will sell. But if a customer doesn't come back, that's on you, not on me. Yeah. And I was sitting there like, oh, my gosh. And she said, and so here's how it works. Every three months, we're going to have a meeting. If your sell-through is no good, our relationship's over. (laughs) So it's good. And and she said, and by the way, when we buy your product, it's going to be on sale or return. So if we don't sell it, we're going to return it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the craziest world I've ever come across. I mean, who, who does this this way, right? So I was freaking out. I was kind of happy and freaking out at the same time. Um, and then every three months we'd go in for this meeting with this buyer who was like a, a, a partner that didn't really want to date you. Right. Um, but it was sort of had you on it, it sort of were like, I like you, but I'm not sure if I want to marry you, you know, <laughs> yeah. and you're kind of trying to qualify every three months to be attractive. Right. Um, and so, yeah. you know, we'd go in and we'd sort of how, you know, nervously, are we going to qualify? Are they going to kick us out? Um, 
and we'd do a review and we'd somehow get to the next three months. And then eventually those three months became six months and, you know, and so I think, you know, that was a, a huge turning point for us because we were, it was a baptism of fire into the world of retail, which has got nothing to do with product mm. creation and, and how cutthroat it is and how difficult it, it certainly was, I think, because of direct-to-market now, direct-to-consumer, it's become a little bit, it's different, right? And, and look, I think we're going through a, a change in that too. It's a, it, the, the whole social media online play is now way more pay-to-play, right? It's so much more difficult to, um, to get airtime than it used to be. Cut through even, yeah. And cut exactly. through. So and you kind of govern to the the platforms, right? Like it's really at the helm of them. Sometimes they can control um, your 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 spend and the outcome, which is really difficult. Really difficult. Now there's another layers of people. I mean, we had the retailers, and and, and yes, they're still there. But now there's all these new stakeholders that we had to bow down to. You know? Yeah, you're absolutely right. The whole yeah. space of social media um, is a whole challenge in itself, and you know. Um, I think every channel has its very unique moments. And I think the space that we live in now, you know, retail's changing. Uh, it's becoming more challenging in some ways, but also in the last six months to 12 months, I think it's becoming more important than it even was prior to COVID. Exactly. You know, and 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 so learning the art of the new retail, I think it's, it's, it's the same, but it's very different. Um, Social media obviously has changed um, and and how to get cut through and talk to your consumer. I think authenticity is really so critical now. There's so many brands and then so many options. Yeah. So all of that, it, you know, it's a complex collection of, of omni-distribution, omni-social, um, yeah. uh, omni-marketing uh, channels. I mean, it's incredible what, what we're, where we've arrived. That's what... I think sometimes makes, especially finding a brand, uh, some people often ask me, and I'm sure they ask you as well, like, are you bored? I mean, you know, what, are you, do you want, what do you want to do next? And it's, well, you're always learning. There's always something to change, something to react to, whether it's, of course, the pandemic or now. Exactly as you said, it's such a powerful point you mentioned about social and retail, how retail is so much more stronger than even pre-pandemic. And there was a point where I remember when I, I launched a brand, my, my brand in in the pandemic in April, 2020. And I literally built it all on the power of DTC, influencer social media. And that was what was driving a lot of our business. And I quickly realized, and we did launch day one in Sephora on inland and on stores. So that's obviously a big, mighty retailer that needs a lot of nurturing and, and money, uh, but also gives you back. But the interesting thing for me is today, I've got to this point where I've realized my investment in retail does stick and does um, honestly, the more I invest, the more it helps long term. My investment in social is good in that moment, but then often I have to do it again and it's kind of refresh mode. It's like a restart button. And I haven't seen the loyalty on like, you know, our engagement is somehow declining, even though our likes, uh, our followers are increasing. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think D2C and, and social media is the albeit as it was a year or two ago that people were talking about. Like retail is so important, so, yeah. so important. So that's my little side conversation on that, but I'm sure you agree as well. I'm 100% agree with you. 
It's a, it's 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 almost like a it's a little bit of a, a a dirty thing to say in this in this world, right? That social isn't as important yeah. as it used to be. But, but we should be true. saying TikTok is the future. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes I go to conferences and I I, I tend not to go to too many. Because, you know, like you and I, when we're building brands, it's better to not even know and just figure it out, go with the gut, make yeah. mistakes, learn from it. But sometimes um, a lot of people spend a lot of their time going to these conferences and, and, and you know, speaking to people. And for me, it's like sometimes I sit there and like I went to some recently and they're like, the future is community and influencers and micro-influencers and social media. And I was sitting there and I was like, oh. I don't know. I don't think I agree anymore. Um, but I didn't want to say that. Everyone in the, in the room is nodding and like taking notes. And I'm like, I'm not taking any notes. Here. I'm just like, <laughs> I got to go back to work now. You know, I felt really bad. <laughs> but um, but that's, that is a true. It's like this yeah. dirty thing where we're like, oh, I don't want to tell people this. And I can say this very much because my job, I used to be working in corporate in before. So I was an estate order deal. My roles were in charge of influencer social media globally for these brands. Right. So, I'm coming in as the pre-expert in this field. Yeah. I even have a digital agency that does influencers and social media for brands in beauty brands. Yep. And I still, I'm telling everyone, I don't think it's the future. <laughs> so it's kind of funny. Um. It's, it's such a thing. I mean, you know, and it, I don't, it's going to be very interesting the next few years uh, with metaverse and all of that, but um, with meta and, and, and how we, how we, yeah, sort of bring Ride the two wave. somehow together. However, um, but I do. I, I if you travel around a little bit and you go into different retailers, it's very interesting. Some retailers are pumping; they're full of people. Yep. They're full of energy and life. Uh, consumers yep. are seeking them out and traveling physically to them, and will do that particularly in beauty rather than go online. And then you go yeah. literally three doors down and there's not a single person in the store. And you're like, how, yeah. right? <laughs> so it's even as a retailer scary because if you, if you miss it it's, by a little bit, you miss it by a mile. You miss it. It's so true. No, it's so, so true. It's, it's fascinating, but that's why, yeah, going to that point I made, it's, it's exciting. It's, you, know, yeah. you never know. And I think it gives a chance at any point in their business to, to thrive as long as they're open to be agile, uh, learn and adapt yeah um it's kind of what made me you know we've been working in brands like dior obviously there was those like um voices saying well just stay here like why would you build your own brand and then and then i was like you know what and there are moments where my brand i think does and i've heard internally does sometimes more business in like in a week than certain retailers of dior um obviously there's a moments of like tiktok virality or whatever yeah but you know it's like you can always surprise yourself um and the and the people and the consumers are also on that journey too. So I think there shouldn't be um, those voices where, oh, you're, you're always late to the game. Like there's always, you're always, everyone's always learning yeah. and there's always something to be um, doing. So it's very, very important. I do want to ask before we go into fire round and I know you have a business to run and things to do, so I don't <laughs> want to keep you all day, which I have to say though, I think you should launch a podcast because your voice is absolutely incredible to listen to. <laughs> it's so soothing and you have so much wisdom. So <laughs> you don't have a podcast, do you, right? Bit, yeah, you should, you should have one or write a book. Yeah, I'll write a book. Um, but what I would say is um, what is the future of Grown Alchemist now looking like for you? I think, um, you know, we, we've recently joined the Loxitan group, um, which was a big decision. Yes. You know, you, you go from owning your entirely owning your own brand to owning a part of it. Um, and 
there's a question of why you do that. And, and, and I, I think, to be honest, our first response when we were approached was no, uh, why would we want to do that? Mm. Um, and so, uh, and, and it came down to firstly, how do you reach a greater number of people when we have a strong retail view? And so globalization at a retail level requires support for the retailers. It requires a whole infrastructure. It requires not just a, a brand that works, but a, a whole channel and a whole system of um, partners that work. Processes and partners, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, you will see this, you, you will have seen this, where you see, a, you see a brand, you say, gosh, that's a gorgeous brand, and it just dies. And it's yeah. like, why did that die? And some of the best brands, I think, get, get, they lose in a market, not because they're not great brands and products, because they don't have the robust distribution system or the robust support structure. And when you get close to a retailer, you realize that 99.9% of all retailers, they really don't do anything for themselves. You do everything for them and with them to help support them from staff on the floor to, to, you know, supply chain, to marketing, to marketing contribution, to everything, even driving social to their, to their socials. And really what they do is provide you the space, right? Most of the time. Um, so yeah. that requires a team. And I think what we've, we said is, is you can build that team yourself um, and we were on the way to do that, but it's a, probably a 20 year process if you're going to do it properly. Yeah. Yep. Or you're not can, guaranteed to, to work. And it's not guaranteed the to work. Of the company. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's very capital intensive. You've got to have deep pockets and, yep. and a long-term view. So we then, yep. when we, the thing that we looked at was not so much, well, this is great partner and this, you know, there's the ability to financially resource it and all sorts of other things. Um, that wasn't actually that important, and we were fairly cashed up as a brand compared to our journey so far. We had more cash in our bank than we'd ever had, mm-hmm. right? Um, and uh, and so that was not the driver. The driver for us um, getting into partnership and, and what paved the way for where we want to go next was about saving time. It was like we could save 20 to 30 years of our journey by partnering up. And, and partnering with people that we believe in, that understand brand, that really are committed to, to an authentic brand inside their portfolio of brands rather than trying to change us into what everything, every, every other brand is in the portfolio, right? Exactly. So yeah. the, the, the move, the next space for us really is, is, is to, is to globalize with greater level of support with, it's globalized, but it's localized, right? And so rather than trying to have one global view on everything, where we're going is really to have local teams that know their market, that know the heart of what we're about as a brand and a customer that who, t- who, who our customer is and who, who follows us and uh, enjoys our product and to really personalize that based on culture, based on mm. retail opportunities, 
um, and based on um, the the almost I call it the personality of a market. And it's hard to sort of think of it when we're in the Western world and there's America and there's Australia and it's similar and then you've got UK and we all speak the same language. But and there's priority markets. Priority markets. And, yeah. and it's much easier to think about it when you talk about something like China versus America, right? They're very different cultural spaces. Yeah. But the reality is what I've found is that all markets, all cultures, are they have when it gets to the point, the pointy end of what you're doing, there's a lot of difference. And America, we so, cannot approach America the same way we approach Australia. Can't approach the UK the same way we approach America. So the, the, the cultural and social and, and in a way the economic and, and purchasing behavior of, that, of those markets need localization. And that's kind of yeah. what we also get from a team. So. Really, it's expansion, but it's expansion in a thoughtful yeah. way that's very pertinent to the market. And very sustainable. No, I love that. And, and honestly, from my years at Dior, and this is probably the path I'll do for Fable in Maine too. Um, uh, we're only two years in right now, but I think this is exactly kind of what I'm building currently is uh, local teams and, and yeah. having that local mindset. And I have different shoots for different markets. Of course, it's, it sort of makes sense in reality, but I've been trained in schools where, when I say schools, I mean big conglomerates from yeah. Lauder to LVMH, where it's sort of like, well, China is 60, 70% of our business. It'll be choosing a, a face that works in China first and then everywhere else the rest. And I was like, but, but this is wrong. And yeah. I was very lucky when my first experience was local market then it was regional market and then global so i saw the frustrations right when assets were sent from global that were not relevant for the local market had to have double work to change it and then we were still forced to use it and i saw the effect on the global scheme where i was like i even was like this doesn't make sense but i've got to think about my primary market and the rest are just not important like don't there were like even conversations were like don't spend time with that market it's not giving us revenue but i'm like but it's not giving us revenue because you're not prioritizing yeah. it so it's kind of like this like vicious cycle where i'm like how does this work as a global company so exactly what you said is is so critical for a real legacy brand and a longevity of a brand yeah. is to think local um and sometimes it's 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 by partnering of course with yeah. a big a giant that can help you do that but still keeping you know the founders or you you're the truest dna in there where it doesn't become um copy and paste of what works and what doesn't work in yeah. terms of profit line and bottom line too no i think that's very very true and um i'm really excited for the future i can tell you from a londoner's perspective already i don't know if it's already been in works but what you're doing here from that i saw nobu portman portman square this incredible pop-up and you guys are very much thinking locally as well and doing great jobs here. So, um, especially, as I said, in my local Equinox. So, uh, We've got a yeah, fabulous love, team love, in London, uh, in, in the UK. They're absolutely yeah. stunning and, uh, and they do an incredible job. They, 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 they have a, a feel for the market that is, you know, I, I get on calls and very I just literally say, tell me what we should be doing. I, I can't add really any value to exactly. what they already know. So <laughs> That's the best feeling to have where you're like, I'm going to learn from you, not I'm going to tell you. And that's the best thing. And that's yeah. the way it should be, especially yeah. when going 
local up. Um, so before I go to fire round um, and we wrap it up, um, I have one last question, which is a desert island question. Yes. You probably know what's coming. I'm inviting you to a founded beauty retreat, but Jeremy, you can, you can only bring one product. So what's your go-to Grown Alchemist product? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip sun, sunscreen, but I'm sure that that would be helpful. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> I'll find some mud somewhere or be, yeah. some aloe vera to soothe. Yeah, that. exactly. <laughs> um, okay, one product. Uh, I think it would be, gosh, it's so tricky. This is a hard one. It's always the hardest one because there's so many that I... It's always hardest. I would probably like choosing go, between, I mean, I mean. <laughs> I'd probably go with, um, there's a there's a, um, a sleep mask that we have that is just, I love it. It's stunning. I put it on, it's, it's kind of like a treat as well as it just feels beautiful when you wake up in the morning. And so it's very rich. You put it on at night. It goes on heavy. And you think, I can't possibly, yeah. I'll have, you know, all of this product left on my face when I wake up in the morning. And it's, you just can just drinks it in. So I think if I was, Weird. you know, I'd be spending a lot of time in the sun. I'm assuming it's a beautiful tropic, tropical desert island, swimming in the sea. Yeah. Come, in, come in just yeah. before just before the sun goes down, put on the sleep mask, <laughs> have Amazing. a good night's sleep. <laughs> oh, that's the, that I just that's the age repair sleep mask. Correct. Right? That yes. One. Anyone listening? Amazing. Okay. Cool. Well. Okay. Now, fire round questions. I have six uh, questions, and these are going to be first thing that comes to your mind. So the first question is: What's another beauty brand that you're currently loving? There's, there's a there's a little known brand. Um, I'm not sure if you um, see much of it, but it's a it's kind of a very funky, cool brand that I love to follow called Morris Motley here in Australia. And they just do very cool things with mm. with some of their movies, and it's very edgy and cool. I, I love it. Nice, Morris Motley. I'm go- I'm googling it. I'm saving it for later. Cool. Um, my next question is, what's a guilty pleasure of yours? Uh, one of my favorite things. I it, it's a um, it's sort of guilty and not so bad. Uh, is um, when I relax in the evening, I I I like this. There's a drink I do, which is um, it's. Vodka. I have these big, large, round ice balls uh, that I create in the fridge. Oh, you know those big. That's so good. You, did you get it from Amazon? Yeah, like yes. the, these like molds. The or, mold. it's, yep. So I the best. I have all these. I have this big round uh, ice ball. I put it. I bought these tumblers called Mosia tumblers, which were ridiculously expensive, mm. but they're they're really pure looking and they feel amazing in your hand. M O S E R. I think it is. Um, and I have this. Big, gorgeous crystal tumbler, which is not crystal and ornate. It's very pure looking with this big round ice ball in it, Mm. a bit of vodka, and then equal part vodka, equal part lemon juice. Oh my gosh. It's just, I just sit on it and it's, and sip it and it's, um, I love it. It's, if I could do that every night, I would. But yeah, we have a. You don't. You want to make sure you're fully focused every day for exactly. work. But still, that's a. I'm going to try that. It's definitely a Friday night. <laughs> but hey, as a guilty pleasure, Friday night thing. You got it. So I'll do that tomorrow night. <laughs> okay, great. Me. I've got my molds already at home. I'm going to make sure I've got water in them. The <laughs> um, my next question is: What are you currently watching or reading? Um, I'm actually. Uh, on Friday night, my, my wife and I watched The Crown. Ah, it just came out, the new season. just came out, the new season. Yeah. I find it absolutely fascinating. And, of course, I, I mean, yeah. some of it, now they're into the age that I grew up with the royals, right? So 
It's really interesting yeah. to sort of see behind the scenes a little bit. Um, but I find it fascinating. My mum's yeah. always been a royalist. She like has, she was so into Lady Diana, so into the Queen, loved the Queen. Wow. Um, and so uh, we always paused on Christmas Day for the Queen's speech um, and listened to it yeah. live. And so it was it it was just uh, it's it's been a very sort of um, I was in London actually when when the Queen passed and yeah. And so my mum asked me if it was a Saturday and my mum asked me if I could walk around London and just sort of be on Zoom with her. <laughs> oh, wow. So That's it was, a, yeah. yeah it's, it was really emotional. Super yeah. emotional. Oh, it's my a, gosh. I was, it was crazy. Really, I, I, I know. You know, as a Kiwi Australian, I didn't expect to feel it as much, but I don't know whether it was my time living in London, but I found it to be really, really emotional and, um, yeah. It was really sad, sad time, but yeah. And I live right next to Buckingham, like literally like a five minute walk. So I pass it all the time for my, my runs. And, um, I actually crazy fact, like, uh, recently, like about two weeks ago, me, my family, um, my, my dad and my sister were invited to Buckingham palace. Oh, wow. Saw King Charles. So that was very, very cool, but it would have been the queen. It was meant to be. And then it got delayed and obviously she was ill. So I was really like my one time I was like, I really wanted to meet the queen, but Hey, I saw King Charles. He was pretty amazing. Oh my and, gosh, that's uh, incredible! Inside Buckingham Palace is pretty crazy. I'll be honest. It was um, uh, like the week before. I was it, it was somehow it was a weird the weirdest week of my life. Like on Wednesday, I was at Downing Street, invited inside, and then the week after, I was in Buckingham. So I was like feeling pretty pretty cool. Like, okay, <laughs> so this is cool. an odd week. Um, <laughs> that's a good party, party story. But um, Downing Street inside, I better not say it because I might not get invited again. It was okay. It was nice. <laughs> but Buckingham was insane. Buckingham inside, I was like, I wanted to take photos. I couldn't, but um, it was like, it looked like a museum, like going to Versailles or something. It was beautiful. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. <laughs> so well, it is very much like what you see in the crown. <laughs> it's, 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 I, 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 I've not been, I've only done the tours, but I've not been that close to it, but, but that, that's awesome. I mean, I, yeah. and, and I think there's something about the whole monarchy that's so incredible, right? I just, I, I, yeah, I love it. And I think, um, I'm a monarchist it's, for sure. And so, um, you know, yeah. partly probably because passed down from mum, but yeah. So that's what I'm watching. Yeah. I, love, people I together. love the crown. I look that's forward the to the important. next episode always coming. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. Crown is awesome. Well, my, my next question is, do you have like a favorite social media platform right now or are you on social media much? Yeah. So I, um, look, I find, um, TikTok, I find very, very fascinating, but it's just such, um, it's yeah. like candy, right? It's, it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of empty entertainment. It's addictive. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. And so, you know, you're kind of just scrolling up and down and up and down. Um, I think my view of social media has changed. I, I go, it depends on what it is. If I'm looking to feel yeah. a brand and feel the heart of a brand, I tend to just go to Instagram because yeah. I feel like that's the, almost like the purest representation of a brand. Um, yeah. Whereas if I'm just looking for pure entertainment and quirky fun, whatever, I'll just go and, and I'm, you know, just wanting to brain, turn the brain off. I'll go to TikTok. <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah. really between those two. The last time I, I opened you. Facebook was a long time ago. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't even know if I go, on, I go on messenger here and there, but Honestly, I'm the same. Instagram, TikTok, and then LinkedIn, I love as well. Yeah. There, so, yeah. yeah. Um, my next question is, do you have a favorite quote or a saying? I think in a business sense, I'll stick to a business one. I don't know if it's 
um, yeah. a business sense. I love this um, quote of um, everybody experiences more than they understand. And it's experience not understanding that drives behavior. That's a really good one. And I think as business people, as business people, we get caught up in our, in our head, right? And we forget that yeah. you can have these, you know, and we sit in boardrooms where there's all these sort of very rational presentations about why something's going to work or the next phase of something or whatever it is. And actually it's the emotion and everything and the, and the, what we'd probably term the fluffy stuff that actually makes the difference a lot of times. And that's more about experience than, than intellect, right? Or then, and, and I think sometimes we get the right to speak to someone's mind by going through their heart. And if you don't go through their yeah. heart first, kind of having, having that mind conversation or giving them information is almost, um, I would probably call it uh, almost um, a little bit invasive. Like, you know, I think nowadays we're wanting to be connected with more. So, so when, I, when I think of anything we're doing marketing-wise or, or, or communication-wise or even product-wise, I try and think about experience first. I love that. That's so powerful. That's a really great one. Thank you. I'll, I'll remember that one for sure. Uh, if I tell people, I'll give you credit for the source of my, like, it might not be the source of the quote, I don't know but where it's my it, source of learning it. Yeah, I should know, but that is okay. I don't know where it came from, but I, yeah. it wasn't People know, there's no such thing as anyone creating a quote. It's, it's always a transfer. It's like energy. It's not created. It's just transferred. But, um, but uh, uh, I will, uh, I love that one. My last question is if you weren't a beauty entrepreneur uh, right now, what could Jeremy be doing in a different multiverse or even in this verse? I think I would be um, into my, to my next greatest passion, which is, um, is nutrition and food and med- and how that relates mm. to how that can be medicine. Um, so I, I, I just think, we may have missed a trick or two in the industrialization of our food supply and our, and what actually, um, how capable our bodies could be if we got that mix right. So there's one little part of that that I absolutely am fascinated by, which is um, real time uh, biological information. So, what that really, all that means is, um, is this space that I think we're heading into, which is um, the ability to reckon, your ability to you, for you to understand that you're low in zinc in a real time moment, and then be able to take a nutrient or a, or a food source that has zinc in it that tops up, right? And so it's kind of proactive, and I love the fact that when if we knew what certain foods were doing to us chemically, I don't think we'd be eating them. But because we don't, we're not able to measure it, we're probably a little bit oblivious to it and don't see the importance of it. So that transfer so true. Um, about food and health and medicine and then being able to sort of 
measure it real time. I think that's such an amazing space. It's so true. I, I'm getting more and more fascinated with everything to do with nutrition and also the gut microbiome. Yeah. I think educating ourselves and what we consume and even water, like the hydration index and yeah. are we actually getting um, from what sources of water? Like there's so much. And I think um, obviously being someone who's growing up with Ayurveda and healing from within and, and just natural, um, yeah. what you eat is really a big reflection of what what's your future and what you are. I think um, you can really prevent a lot of illnesses and, and, um, and even immediate effects and emotion and, and, and whatever just from the power of knowledge of food and nutrition so that's a really good one i hope you do it uh, more and more in it i think you already i think you will so <laughs> um but that's very exciting <laughs> but jeremy it's been an absolute pleasure we could speak all day but i don't want to keep you any longer but um where could everyone follow you and obviously the brand or if you're not on social just the brand let us know that the, the um the i things. think we're i think our uh, it's grown alchemist um uh, is yeah. our um, our Instagram handle? I think we're also the same on 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 TikTok. Yeah. I I have about I don't know uh, a dozen followers on my Instagram. <laughs> I think the last time I posted was like you know early two thousands. <laughs> um, I'm not big on my own personal uh, on a corporate level or biz brand level. Uh, Grown Alchemist. Um, is our Instagram handle on, on most things. Amazing. I'll put all the links and in the, in the, in the website link in the summary so people can just tap away. And um, Jeremy, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, thank you for all your wisdom. It's really, uh, really appreciated. And hope we get to meet in person very soon. I would love to do that. Thank you. And thank you so much for your time and, and everything uh, that you've, uh, you, you know, you, you brought to this. I loved our chat. It's really lovely to just kind of talk candidly like this. Yeah. fantastic. hope you enjoyed this episode of founded beauty as much as i had making it and if you did please share it with a friend who you think will love it too founded beauty is available on all podcast platforms such as apple Podcasts, spotify amazon music podcast the acast app and many more and i'm also very proud to be part of the acast creator network so be sure to follow the podcast so you can get episodes as soon as they drop we really appreciate every single follow listen share and review it truly goes such a long way and helps us reach new listeners. So as a little thank you, I will be hosting a giveaway each week on my Instagram channel at meta underscore a, where you can win some amazing Fable Main goodies. All you have to do is follow me, check out my stories and all will be revealed. Stay tuned for the next episode of Founded Beauty and don't forget to subscribe and follow so you can be notified when it drops. <laughs>